Today's message is based on the reading from John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you would you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, and he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, isolation is not a good thing. We, we, no one likes to be isolated. Now, people may tell you, and I meet lots of people during the week that say, I prefer to be alone, or I'm an introvert. You know, I'd rather charge my batteries away from people, but no one wants to be isolated. And I know this is true because though I don't have kids yet, isolation is like how we punish children. Like if a kid is not playing well with others or, you know, he did a big bad during church or something, we tell him, go in the corner by yourself. You know, like you don't get to be running and playing anymore and goofing around. You have to go be by yourself. And not to mention, it doesn't stop when you get older. I mean, so, you know, who hasn't seen either like one of those cable prison shows or I don't know, like um, one of thousands of prison movies or TV shows. And, you know, when the prisoner does something bad, the warden is like, well, for that infraction, boy, that's going to be a week in solitary confinement, right? Isolation is a punishment, and it's like one of the oldest and most punishing things that a human can experience. And what's interesting is, is that's actually how one of the fathers of the church, St. Augustine, one of Martin Luther's favorites, uh, that's how he defined sin. He said that 
sin is man or woman curved in on his or herself. Where uh, the more that you are sinful or whatever, the more that you distance yourself from community, the more you're curved in on yourself and you say, I don't want to be with other people. Just leave me alone. Let me keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to figure it out. I swear I don't need help. And that is how he defines sin. And we see that example all the time in the scriptures. Now, I, the first time I read the Old Testament reading, I was like, oh boy, people are going to hear this and they're going to say, what in the world is that about? It went like this. What is going on? Now, thankfully, it's about Elijah. Elijah, fantastic prophet, faithful to the Lord. But if you can remember the story of Elijah, um, you know, if I could, if I pressed you, uh, I don't know, like on TV or something for the, the mil- who wants to be a millionaire uh, prize, I bet you you could name Elijah's most famous miracle. And that would be when he went up on Mount Carmel and he called down or he called to the father and he called down from heaven fire to ignite wood in front of all of the priests and prophets and people that worship Baal. And the Lord did it on command for Elijah, even though Elijah had had the people pour water, 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 drench the wood. It still lit on fire at the beckoning of the Lord. Now, this all sounds good, right, and salutary and cool and fun until you realize he wasn't just happening upon a crowd of like Baal worshippers out there in the desert. No, these were the people of Israel. We hear earlier in 1 Kings 18 that all of the people in Israel, everybody except for Elijah, had gone after and started to worship Baal. And so even the prophets and the priests were worshiping and being priests and prophets for Baal. So Elijah has to, you know, give a black and white uh, ultimatum, unfortunately, which is never good for church leadership, right? And he says, guys, how long will you keep on going limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And then he kind of goes off and he says, geez, I, even I only, am left the prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So all of the priests and prophets of the Lord were now Baal worshipers. And so poor old Elijah has to take it upon himself, even though he is a representative of the church and not the state. He has to say, all right, well, guards, kill them all. Kill all the prophets and priests of Baal. Because they had turned against the way of the Lord and... The Lord practiced judgment right there in that way, in a very physical and real way, on the prophets and priests of Baal. Let me tell you, these were the bad shepherds that I was talking about a few weeks ago. So anyways, Ahab, not the one from Moby Dick, but the king of Israel, who is not a good guy, because he always deferred his leadership away from him to other people, and was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Please just do it for me. Um... He was like, you killed, what? He spat out his coffee. He was like, you killed all of the prophets and priests. I mean, you, don't, you can't just go and 
make a classified ad and bring them all back. This is a, not a good thing, Elijah. Couldn't we have talked them off the edge? Couldn't we have, like, you know, like, I don't know, adopted a new, like, training program? Like, why did you kill them all? And so he has his wife issue him a warning where his wife literally says, hey, I'm going to kill you too because you did this. And so poor old Elijah took off and he said, I'm giving up on Israel. I'm going to go down to Judah and I'm going to just be by myself, live out my days, you know, read books, daydream. I'm done with this. He leaves. He's running, running, running. He gets to the tree and he lays down and he says, man, this is not a good place that I'm in. You know what, Lord? Just kill me now. I want to die. You know, like, maybe everyone's right and I'm wrong. I'm the only one saying that we should be faithful to the Lord. Just, just kill me. I'm done. And what's interesting is, and I didn't realize till later, that this is the same situation Jesus finds himself in. Where Jesus, you know, last week gives this awesome teaching about how he's the bread of life and everyone who believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. And it sounds wonderful. And then here, this second week, we see his enemies, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the, the lawyers. They're like, what are you talking about? You're not the bread of life sent down from heaven. Your dad's the, the carpenter guy. Your mom, Mary, like, we've met her. We go to lunches with her. Uh, like, you're just a dude. You're not the bread from heaven. And what they're saying here is that their reason, their lived experience is conflicting and clashing with the words of truth from Jesus. And... When you flash back to Elijah, you know, his experience is, you know, everyone else is saying this. Everyone else is worshiping Baal. I mean, why don't I just throw in the towel? Like, my Roth IRA will still exist if I continue to and maybe perpetuate Baal. Like, there's a lot of security here. Like, everybody's doing it. And the angel of the Lord instead comes down, touches him on the shoulder, and says, Arise and eat. And there's this cake of bread. There's some water for him to eat and drink. He eats and drinks it. He still goes back to sleep in his dismal state. The second time, the angel comes down again and says, Arise and eat. Obviously, the journey is too great for you. He eats and he drinks. He raises up. And he goes on the strength of that food for 40 days. Obviously a, uh, a type of Christ that we're seeing here in the Old Testament, which is always fun to see. Well, Jesus, his opposition, because like I said last week, this bread of life discourse is where he's going to lose like almost all of his followers. Like, this is like the initial public offering where all of a sudden people read the IPO and they say, man, this business, 
this is weird. I can, you know, I'm pulling my money out. Like, so everyone that is insisting on their reason and their strength to believe in Jesus Christ, when he says stuff like, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood to believe in me, and you have to eat my flesh and you'll have eternal life, it freaks people out. Especially when they say, when he says multiple times, I'm going to raise you up on the last day. I mean, that was already not a popular opinion. Probably 50% of the ruling priestly class was like, no, there's no resurrection. If anyone tells you that, don't listen to them. And I don't know, like, it does something to the human ego for a whole bunch of people to stop listening to your teaching. But thank God that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Because Jesus, of course, held on to the truth of his teaching, the promises from his father, that the father will gather and keep all that he wishes to draw to the son, and that those who believe in the son will not perish but have eternal life. And so Jesus takes that truth, and slowly, less and less people care about Jesus' message. They're excited in the beginning because he's doing new weird stuff, but slowly they drop away like flies. And in that last week of his life, it goes down to 12 people, and then one of the 12 leaves right after communion, and he leaves him for good, Judas. And then the, a good chunk of them leave him in the garden, and he only has his inner three, and then only Peter stays with him, and then even Peter runs away. And then, Jesus on the cross, of course. He's there on the cross. He suffered. He's going to die. He knows he has to die. He's mocked by someone next to him. He is, uh, these soldiers mockingly, you know, kneel before him and laugh and giggle. And then finally, he cries out to his father. And his father doesn't answer. And he realizes that he's been left by his father also. And he dies. But then he raises from the dead for those people that neglected him and left him. He raises from the dead for you and I. And what happens when he rises is it means that when he predicted that he would have to suffer and die and then rise again, he did rise again of his own accord. And therefore, all of his truth claims that his enemies disagreed with, that grumbled, that they grumbled against, oh, you're the bread of heaven. They were validated. They were made true because he rose from the dead. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are trapped in that reality where Jesus has risen from the dead. And because he has risen from the dead, everything that comes out of his mouth is true. And it affects our lives. When Jesus arises, he says of himself, arise. He says, sleepers, awake. He says, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And so we return to his discourse here. And when he publicly says, no, enemies, Pharisees, Sadducees, I don't care what you've experienced or what you can reason. I am the bread of life. 
I mean, I've come here and you still don't believe me. I'm doing all of your signs. I mean, I am something greater than the manna 40 days in the desert because those who eat of me don't die. And those who ate the manna in the desert died. He takes that truth claim, which will be validated when he rises, and he uses it as a sword, right? The sword of the spirit, the word of God. And he uses it to vanquish the evil that is trying to uh, subvert him or destroy him in the same way that Elijah had to use the sword to vanquish, vanquish what was evil and against the word of the Lord. But guys, the bread of life, his chief goal is to give life. And we can't lose sight of that. Because when we think about isolation, we think about Elijah under that tree wishing to just die because he was cast off by himself. He was alone following the Lord or Jesus being isolated to the point of death, literally, uh, where he doesn't just ask for death. He does die for the sins of the world. It's something that can only be given antidote with the bread of life, Jesus. I mean, first, we think about, you know, those who isolate themselves today. I mean, the easy thing to say is, I feel tired. I don't feel up to it. Maybe I need to rest. Maybe I shouldn't go. Maybe I shouldn't come. Maybe I should isolate myself from the community. And that will fix how I feel. I mean, it's not until you say it out loud that the foolishness is made real. I should just continue on doing what I'm doing and maybe it will get better. It just doesn't seem so. But, I mean, but look at you guys. You're here. And praise be to God. You are here. And blessed are you for being here. But... Since we are here, we do have eyes to see and we have ears to hear. We believe in Jesus Christ. We have eternal life. What's next? Well, if you are baptized, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, that means that you, you have new life. Paul urges us to put off the old self and to put on the new self. Because... He knows that all those people in Ephesus and around Ephesus, he knows that they're all baptized. Everyone reported the baptismal records to him. He knows everyone's name. He has preached to them himself. He's given them communion himself. He knows they're Christian. But for some reason, he keeps getting these letters from people saying, all these people here aren't acting like Christians. You need to come back, Paul. People are lying to each other. They're talking poorly about each other. They're gossiping about each other. They're, it sounds like people were stealing. I mean, like, how is this the body of Christ? He says, that isn't the way that you learned Christ. Christ doesn't lie. He doesn't steal. He doesn't kill. He gives life. He is the truth. He makes things clear. And so he urges us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, sealed in their baptisms. He says, put off the old self, put on the new self, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, a washing, 
You are now created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He's talking about the new life that lives in you, in your baptism, where now it is literally Christ living in you. And you may have the old self holding on to the coattails, trying to get you, like, I was talking with someone this week and they said, I have this little voice and when I'm going to do something and I'm like, oh, you know, I ought to do it this way. The little voice says, no, don't do it. You should do this because it feels good. What Jesus is doing for you and giving you the new life in your baptism is he's literally drowning it, killing it, choking it to death. In the same way that Jesus had to vanquish with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to kill all of uh, those spiritually who uh, went against the truth. In the same way that Elijah had to use the sword to slay the Baal worshippers, those that idolized in the heart and said, no, follow after this way. Paul is urging you to slay the old Eve, the old Adam each day. To put away gossip, put away lying and stealing, put away the things that Gentiles do and did. You did them before you were Christian. Stop it. He says, please, this is how. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgive each other. Just like God in Christ forgave you. Imitate God. And how do you imitate God as his beloved children in baptism? You walk in love. And what does it mean to walk in love? Because that doesn't really tell me what to do. Well, you walk in love as Christ loved us. How did he love us? He gave himself up for us. He became a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Give yourself up for Christ. Give yourself up for your neighbor. And please, give yourself up to your fellow brother and sister here in the pew, who, at the end of the day, you love each other more than, I don't know, all these other people in the world that don't seem to like you. Give yourself up for your brother and sister in Christ. And in so doing, you give yourself up for the Lord. Amen. Now may the peace of God...